startup for startup. Sharing knowledge, experience and insights from one startup to another. Hi everyone, I'm Danny Lester. I'm glad you're here. There are many big shot words in the high-tech world, and sometimes it's unclear what stands behind them. These words sound so powerful, so meaningful, but when you try to explain what they mean, you stutter. The first word in this list of high-tech words that it's unclear what they actually mean is impact. I-M-P-A-C-T. Six letters I've heard at least 500,000 times since I joined Monday. But when I try to explain what it means in the most practical way, I find myself stuck. I mean, I know that when people say they're making an impact, they mean that they matter. They do something significant for the company. We all want to create an impact at the end of the day. We all want our actions to matter, to change something, to make a difference. But how do we actually do that? In this episode, I set myself a goal, understanding the practical aspects of making an impact and how every single person can implement it in their work. With this goal in mind, I started to listen to a bunch of employees, asking them not only what impact was in their eyes, but also what it was not. My research led me to an old recording Lior Krengel, head of the Startup for Startup initiative, had with Iran Zinman, co-founder and co-CEO at Monday. You can find their full conversation in the episode's description. But here is just a part of it, in which Iran talks about his previous startup before Monday and the lack of impact over there. I wanted to create something that's perfect. Uh, I worked very hard to do that. You know, working nine, 10 months, uh, just creating a product. Didn't get any feedback, didn't get any validation about my idea. My head was literally spinning about all the angle I didn't do, all the nuances. I went into this analysis paralysis mode. And then, not from a position of strength, but from a position of, I had enough, I launched it, only to find out that nobody wanted to use their product, you know? And, and I could have achieved this understanding nine months before that. I could work for one month and get the same, to be in the same position uh, with much more energy. Uh, I, I just fell in love with what I built and nobody cared. So it was like the worst experience in my life. That is clearly the opposite of making an impact. Work for so long just to realize there's no need for your product? Damn. So in his new startup, Iran decided to do the complete opposite. He decided that he wanted his company to run fast extremely fast. I think all of us heard about the concept of MVP, building an MVP. So MVP stands for a minimum uh, viable product. And that means a product that works, but it's not kind of the ultimate version, right? It's not the final version. The point is that the way you should kind of approach everything that we do in the company is build, measure, and learn. This is kind of the process. So you build something, 
basic, I would say. It works, but it's not like the ultimate version. Uh, you measure, so you see how people kind of react to the product, what kind of feedback that you get. And then uh, you learn out of that and then build again. So, so basically, um, it's an ongoing process. But the difference between that and just building something very complex is that you get real feedback from real users in the real world. And once you get that, you're in a totally different position from where you were when you started the product. Though MVP, minimum viable product, is a term that comes from the product manager's dictionary, the principle behind it can be used by many other professions around the company. It simply means to move fast and get your thing out long before it's perfect. What I'm starting to stress here is that you can do it for everything. Everything. The most complex project uh, in R&D, uh, the most complex process in, in finance, you know, raising around, uh, whatever. Uh, you can w apply this method uh, in order to move forward, right? So it's not an excuse. We can find an example of an MVP's mindset in our customer experience team at our site in Australia. Not long after the site had been opened, a new initiative had started to take shape there. The goal of this CX initiative, an initiative that was born in the Australia site, was to dedicate time for specific, probably more complex issues that customers face through Zoom calls with CX reps. The person in charge of this project was Lily Shulman, who, at the time, had only been at the company for a few months. Starting this initiative could easily have taken Lily three months. Interviewing customers, working out the funnel, advertising, defining how to match reps to customers, finding other companies that have a similar service and consulting them. You get the idea. But Lily didn't go that route. She started it within less than a month. And her first step was to spread the word about it. I started uh, marketing it in at the end of my basic webinars that I was hosting. So we did get some leads there. We also had collaborated with our sales team um, and other teams across the CSG department so that they were aware that this was a new offering. Um, and we've gotten several requests in from them, but I think it just did take a little bit of time just to iron out that process and make sure that everyone was in alignment with what that looks like and what the expectations were. The, the concept is that once you release it in production and people kind of give you feedback, you're in a much different situation than where you were when you started. What Iran tries to avoid is analysis paralysis mode. It's like the overthinking of companies. It blocks us from any action. You start thinking about the strategy and then you become confident. So you start thinking about, you know, what kind of code you want to write. And then you start thinking about the design and then you eventually think about the name and, 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 and you, you finish the day exhausted. You didn't move an inch, right? Like in the same position. And guess what? Tomorrow is going to be worse. Because you have all these details, you're going to continue the discussion, you're going to get into a paralysis mode. And I, and I experienced myself. You know, it's just paralyzing. I know what you're thinking. Moving fast is a privilege for companies that don't deal with life and death kind of products. Like health tech. Some people might listen to this and say, it doesn't apply to every industry, and they're right. But there is an exception. When I thought about examples, the, another thing that came to mind was building a spaceship. And then I thought about Elon Musk, <laughs> which 
took an industry that was, you know, very slow moving and he managed to do very fast iteration and to build a huge company um, with many experiments. So I guess it's also a very mental kind of game. Elon Musk is a big fan of setting tough deadlines and moving fast. He has a very famous quote about it that you might have run into on social media. Quote, unquote. If you give yourself 30 days to clean your home, it will take 30 days. But if you give yourself three hours, it will take three hours. The same applies to your goals, ambitions, and plans. End quote. Iran explains this approach very simply. He doesn't want people to run purely based on their guts. People, they have intuition. They can either be right or wrong. I'm not saying my intuition is better. It's just intuition. And the point here is to achieve perfection through iteration, meaning get feedback from real users and real usage and not intuition. And Lily did get feedback from real users. For example, we had people who signed up for sessions and then never showed up. So we had to figure out how to handle that and follow up with those users. Um, we also had to make sure that users weren't abusing our calendar and making booking sessions um, and then actually not showing up several times. So that had happened had happened in one instance. Um, so we figured out just, you know, that we do need to set expectations a bit more clearly from the start so that doesn't happen again. Um, I think, honestly, just having conversations and making sure that we got feedback from the CX team here in Australia and those those folks who were leading those sessions as hosts, uh, getting that initial feedback and what their experience was like was really informative. And uh, it certainly did frame how we now approach the workshops. And we're constantly, I think, making changes dependent on just those experiences alone. Lily's last sentence is important when we try to understand what impact is about. She said, constantly making changes. You don't just start something and bam, you're done. It's a work in progress. This is what Iran calls perfection through iteration. You want to maximize your effect in the two week period called an iteration. And if you ask Iran the best way to do it is by asking how we can make this project happen in those two weeks. Case study. We were working on the board presentation and we got to the product section and we started kind of thinking, okay, so let's think about what we've done in the past quarter. It's significant. And uh, we couldn't th find anything. You know, it's, it's weird. And the weird part was that the team was working really, really hard. So I remember that like a week after, uh, we had like a urgent meeting, uh, like the leadership team in Monday. And it was a harsh one because we, we sat down and we tried to figure out why is that? Uh, how come? We're going to become super unsuccessful as a company if we don't move forward. There's so many gaps, there's so many features that we're missing. And we took a very different approach. We said, what's impossible? You know, it's funny to have this discussion. Like, what's what we wanted to do, but it's impossible to do it. In, and we try to frame it in two weeks, you know, just for the sake of it. What's what we can do that we want to do, uh, but it's impossible to do in two weeks. Um, and then we listed all those things um, that we feel was a major gap in our product. And then we said, okay, 
practice the first one and do it in two weeks. Just force ourselves to do it in two weeks. Whatever the result is, we're committed to releasing it into production and just give it to our users. And that's it. We all agreed on it. We all bought into it. Everybody was in the game. And we harnessed the whole company towards that. So we communicated the same message. We communicated that we don't make enough progress. It's not about how much people work or the effort or the quality of people. It's about what happened to us. And, and I, everybody was part of the problem. I was part of the problem. Uh, the leadership in the company was part of the problem. And we just gave, we just told them, let's do it in two weeks. And we didn't do, we, we didn't say it in a kind of bossy kind of way. Oh, you have to do it in two weeks is the deadline. We said, listen, this is what we want to do. We need your help. Uh, let's try to make it happen. We trust you. Uh, you can do it. And, and we, in two weeks, we released one of the most amazing features that um, we ever done. It was amazing. But some projects just can't be done in two weeks. Some people get, um, I would say, offended by this, uh, but it, it, it kind of um, creates a weird reaction. I just told you it's, it's a complex thing and it's going to take three or four months. Why are you trying to ask me if this can be done in two weeks? Are you not in, like seeing it in a different way? You don't understand the complexity? You don't think I had like the right assessment of how hard it is to complete that project. So my goal is not to take those, you know, three months and compress them into two weeks by you not sleeping or uh, working 24 hours a day. It's more about kind of forcing you to choose that one thing that you are confident about, that you feel is in the right path of moving forward. So. You know, this is one exercise I do. Whenever I hear somebody say that, I this is my reaction, almost always. Sometimes I say, what about, you know, tomorrow? Sometimes it's two weeks, depends. Um, but this is kind of the first tool that I use. And this, is, this changes the conversation. So often what you hear is, well, I can do it in two weeks, but then I have to compromise on X, Y, Z. And I say, okay, you know, sounds good. I don't care about XYZ, I want to make sure that the initial concept works. The point is that every, through every iteration, your perspective changes completely. And people often think that they know now what they know now, and they have all the details and all the information in order to make the best decisions for the future, but this is false. This is kind of our ability to think that we can control the future and very good with predicting what people will want. This is kind of more of a place of humility where you say, I have a vision, right? Like, I know where, what point B is, but I can only see the next step. I'll build, I'll build the next step, and then I'll see what's the next step afterwards, and, and I'll be in a much different position than where I am now. What I'm always concerned about when adopting this approach is that we'll give users a bad incomplete product or service. It might be with bugs if it's a feature or with a lack of personnel if it's CX support we're talking about. Either way, I find it reasonable to postpone a release by a month for that sake. However, Iran strongly disagrees. The opposite is true. Our users are going to enjoy uh, if we give them incomplete products. We think that they're going to see all the bugs or if it's not going to be perfect. I think that you know, they've been missing this feature for that long, even if it's not 100%, they're going to love it. 
because you solve like a major issue for them. So you don't need to wait for it to be perfect. I would say as fast as you can push things and get feedback and, and users can use that, even if it's not perfect, it's better for them. Nabila, a customer experience team lead in Sydney and Lily's manager, adopted this attitude Iran talks about. Prior to Monday, she managed an 80-person team at Microsoft for five years. Nabila didn't hesitate to encourage Lily to make the initiative happen quickly. She just wanted to see if there was a need out there for this kind of service. And if so, they would develop it. It's not something that any other site has done yet, but we wanted to give it a go. And I remember sort of thinking at that time that like, before you know it, I bet that every session will be booked up. And honestly, it's we've had several weeks where there hasn't been a single session available for the next three to four weeks. There was definitely a demand for this kind of service. They called it workshop windows. It doesn't mean, though, that the workshop windows were perfect right when they were launched. In fact, they were far from perfect. But the mistakes that occurred in those stages didn't stress anyone out. Actually, we embraced these failures. This attitude got Lily's attention on her first Friday at the company. They used to, to do something, it was called F Up Fridays, um, and people would share things that they had made mistakes on. And then it just kind of also just shows you that we're all human. You know, we, we all make mistakes and it's okay. And we actually shouldn't be embarrassed about it. I understand how some folks can, can get defensive over certain situations like that. I've definitely felt it. Um, but I think just taking a step back um, and thinking about just the bigger picture and how it actually just helps not only myself, but also my peers, if I'm able to identify something that I've done wrong and then kind of share it with everyone else, then that will also prevent them from making the same mistake. The thing about the ethos of embracing the failures is not to cheer up those that made mistakes. If you ask me, it's really about learning and understanding that failures are simply opportunities to learn. I say, you don't, don't make a decision, just run, run an experiment. You know, do one of them and see the result. So in your team, if somebody says, listen, we don't know, it's a hard decision, um, not sure if we can do it, not sure if it's the right thing for the team, just remove the stress. You know, we're not speaking here about the fate of humanity. We're just running an experiment point is to get it wrong. <laughs> the point is to get it wrong. That's the whole point. You don't want to be right all the time because it means you're not bold enough. You're not trying enough. You want to be right all the time. Just don't do anything. You don't need to optimize for that. You need to optimize for the best results over time in, in the fastest way possible. And part of it is being wrong because we don't know. That's the point. So don't optimize for not making mistakes. Optimize for getting the perfect result in the shortest amount of time. And that's the whole point. This attitude to failure is what helped Lily to have a consistent schedule right from the start. Every day, Monday to Friday. She found it important to stick with this beat. That way she'd learn and get conclusions way faster. There was just existing confidence that we had in our team here. And so we wanted to just continue with it and just iterate from the feedback that we were getting gaining. There wasn't any circumstance that had come up where it was a red flag that we needed to pause it and then reevaluate. So I think that 
we had the momentum going. There was no reason for us to slow down in any way. Uh, so you're right. I think there was actually a pretty healthy beat from the start uh, and, you know, gaining that feedback from my team members and then also just from some of the users, we were able to quickly iterate and adapt. Um, I think we just felt like this was something that we could handle um, and just make changes. Nabila is more decided about the beat. If we left a more um, open like calendar or just um, I think more flexibility there it would be at the like cost of our own success as a team I think there's almost a fine line that we had to like do between like making sure that it was able to like take care of the needs of the customer but that it was setting us up for success so that we could do that to the best of our ability too. A beat is also important because without one, there is a higher chance to postpone and postpone and postpone until the end of time. Iran remembers this one time where it took 14 months to release a pretty simple feature. So it started debating and then it got postponed and then something urgent happened and they had to move to another project. And then they got back to it, but, you know, it was kind of low priority, so they didn't do anything. And then it became like a, a, a complex thing because, you know, three, four months passed. So we think it's, it's complex because we didn't do it. We need to solve a bunch of stuff. And then you invent the dependency. So you're saying, oh, we're going to redesign the header, the, the, the user interface of the system. So let's wait for that. And then this project get delayed. And then you get to a, like a very ridiculous state where you say, there's so much time passed, I'm not going to release it. All right. Run fast, check. Fail and learn, check. Beat, check. That's not enough though. Whilst the things we talked about so far are an inseparable part of impact, they all lose their effectiveness if we're not making sure we know what to aim for. If you listen carefully, you remember Iran talked earlier about the cycle. Everything that we do in the company is Build, measure, and learn. This is kind of the process. So you build. How am I supposed to measure anything if I don't know what I'm aiming for? Take the workshop windows, for example. If their only goal was to bring X amount of people to those office hours, then they might have achieved it before they even started, seeing the demand immediately. Luckily, the number of customers in the queue wasn't the only aspect Lily and Nabila had in mind. They also wanted to make sure that the 30 minutes each customer had was as helpful as possible. They found this wasn't the case at the very beginning, simply because the customer had to explain to the rep what they wanted. After that, we were able to sort of go back in again and actually edit the like original form that the customer fills out when they first apply for it. So we added a change to it that said like, how we um, want to make this as useful for you as possible. Like, what would you like to achieve? And we figured out that really sort of asking that at the beginning, even before we've met them officially, was something that would help us you know, determine exactly what it is that they were looking for. It would help us determine the right team member to partner them with. And it would also let us just set the right expectations you know, for whatever it is that we'll be able to cover off in that 30 minute time slot. This minor change made a big difference. And it's only one example of a change that occurred thanks to feedback. Embracing feedback is not something new for Lily. Before Monday, she was an art history teacher. 
And although it's not exactly high tech, I find it hard to think of a job with more direct feedback than a job that forces you to stand in front of a class full of teenagers. As a teacher, I am obviously giving some um, constructive feedback uh, and criticism at times, but I think for me, what was really gratifying and in a way just helped my development was actually to get their feedback. Um, and, and it wasn't always pretty. Uh, and so that was a bit um, at times disheartening. There was this one piece of feedback that caught her off guard. A colleague of hers told her that a 12th grader had approached her, telling her that the pupils were feeling a bit overwhelmed by the workload and Lily's demands. First, she was disappointed that the students didn't feel comfortable coming to her directly. I had to sleep on it before I, I went to that student the next day. And um, what I actually ended up doing the next time I met with that class was um, I started off the class uh, just sharing that, that I had received this feedback. I'm, I was really glad that it was brought to my attention. Um, and then I opened it up to discussion uh, for the first 15 minutes of the class just to discuss ways in which we could approach it um, and do things a bit differently. And later on, I did really receive positive feedback from it, which I thought was really awesome. Um, in my reviews that I had received after the course, um, students really felt like um, it was it was a nice opportunity for them to actually have that space to share their their opinions and voice them um, and then actually see that I took action on it and made some changes. I know it seems a little off. What does high school have to do with startups? But if you think about it, there's not much difference between learning from students' feedback and learning from users' feedback. At the end of the day, in both cases, you're doing something, checking how well it works, and improving accordingly as fast as possible. Her experience as a teacher definitely prepared Lily to receive feedback at Monday. Giving feedback, on the other hand, was a little bit more difficult for her, especially when she needed to give some to her manager. And Nabila knows it. Lily in particular, you know, I think that like, sometimes like, if I can almost sense that there's like something on the tip of her tongue that she almost wants to say, but isn't saying it. I will just actually like point blank, just ask her very directly. I'll say, what feedback do you have for me? Could I have done something differently or done that better? And I think her encouragement of that definitely made me feel more confident and comfortable than disclosing um, feedback that I ha maybe had for her or about things that were happening in the business. And that I find honestly, that's what gets the most like honest response out of her. You know, I think that there's no, it's, I think it creates that environment where like she can feel comfortable to be able to give me the feedback. But at the same time though, I think it's really important how you respond to it. That's all, it's so important. I think whenever, you know, Lily or any other team member does give me feedback, I recognize even just how difficult it is for anybody to give their manager or, you know, their leader feedback and that's why the first thing I'll do is I'll say like thank you because that took a lot of courage to actually say and I'll just leave it at that I'll just say thank you definitely giving feedback to a boss is hard um it's just really important ultimately I think for a manager to be able to give you that space and encourage that because otherwise if I hadn't had that I don't think I'd feel as comfortable doing it I mean I still don't feel super comfortable to be honest uh I, I, it's just not something that's easy to do but 
at the end of the day, looking at the bigger picture, it's important to bring up rather than just let it drag on and then it'll resurface and explode later on. Nabila is aware of the fact that even if she's the most approachable boss in the history of bosses or something, it's still not easy for an employee to come to their boss and say, I think it'd be better if we did this differently. Or maybe you should consider doing something this way instead of that way. It just takes courage and there's no way around it. Three months after Nabila started working at Monday, she sent a form to her team. So those who found it hard to say what was on their mind could do it through the form instead. I remember at the 90-day mark, I just made a really sort of quick um, like form, just sort of asked the team like what, you know, what they appreciated about my leadership and what more they sort of needed from me and made it as anonymous as possible. And I think even that early on, it was really cool to sort of see some of that um, feedback from everybody. So what do we have here in this episode? Is this some sort of recipe for making an impact? Well, like many dishes, there are many different formulas to make something with the same name. You can use certain ingredients to make lasagna, but you can also make lasagna with quite different ingredients. For example, without meat. Italians might not like this idea, but it's still a lasagna. The same applies to impact. This episode described Monday's philosophy about impact and how we apply this philosophy to our everyday work. Is it the only way? The answer is 100% no. Is it the best way? Definitely yes. Just kidding. This is just what works for us. Today and age, it's, it's even more important than ever because companies are moving and changing so fast, everything is so dynamic, that I, I feel the ones that um, fails are the ones that eventually slow down and, and uh, just stop changing things, stop innovating, stop making you know, the required changes in order to move forward and eventually slow down and die. Thank you for listening. Yeah, you specifically. If you like what you've just heard, hit the follow button. Or if you're a Spotifyer, hit the bell icon. You're also more than welcome to our LinkedIn group, Startup for Startup, where you'll be able to find more content and ask for practical tips from the community members. Another place that is worth a look is our website, startupforstartup.com. I want to thank Gaiben Nun, our writer and senior producer. Our crew also has the wonderful Adva Shuzgal and Daria Wertheim, who are our content editors. Leo Krengel, interview Duran, leads the initiative. Yoa Violon is our opera singer and Gal Rodity is our mix engineer. I'm Danny Lester and until the next episode, goodbye. Goodbye.